I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Salim Garami. And we love to watch. We love to watch. When there's no more room on the radio, the dead will start a podcast. Hey, Peter. Hey, guys. Uh, Aaron, I didn't expect to see you. So, yeah, it's super weird to be back uh, for a couple reasons. One, I mean, you made it pretty clear who your preferred host of this podcast is <laughs> really quickly. So first, you start a podcast with Marcus, uh, a different one without me. And then I'm like, hey, I'm not really feeling all that good. So I'm happy. Like, oh, you want to, let's get Marcus. Marcus can be co-host. You want Marcus co-host? Can Marcus be the co-host on our show with me? Is that okay? Is that cool with you? So that was <laughs> so again. So pretty pretty excited to be invited back. And then also uh, that sickness was a result of some wacko biting me. Um, and based on I mean all these medical reports I've seen, uh, I was dead for a little bit. Um, Just a bit. Just a bit. I'm back. Just walk now. it off. Honestly, I got to tell you, that's all I've been doing is just walking the countryside, um, you know, with my hands up in a in kind of a we'll say like a I don't know. Thriller. Thriller, yeah, fashion. thriller fashion. There you go. Couldn't think of the words. I've been a little slow lately. I'm not sure why. Um, starving, though. Once once my my appetite came back pretty quickly. So I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about. Uh, this movie today, which is the second, uh, second in Romero's Dead trilogy about uh, hero zombies and uh, the food they try to eat for survival. <laughs> um, that is an interesting read on that. Um, your read on it was very different before the bite. I think. Uh, I don't. You know, I don't remember much before that. Um, <laughs> I remember something about a family. Um, but I've been alone in this house for a f- couple weeks now. I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. I, and, and no, I'm sorry that I announced that you were dead on the radio last I mean, week. you yeah. don't need to be sorry from what I understand based on the charts I read. That's accurate. Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't mean to be, if we had just waited, you know, a few hours, we would Yeah, it got better. Out. Yeah, you did. It did get better. Um, yeah. we scared not great. The hell out, we scared the hell out of your son, uh, Baron Armstrong. Um, don't saddle me with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's too far. He thought thought you were dead. (laughs) So we are, we are pleased though, to have uh, two delicious people on the podcast. One Peter, and then a first time guest, Salim. Salim, welcome so, welcome so much. Yeah, this is, I really am Salim. Hey everybody. Um, (laughs) So I'm like the old Big Mac that you've had a thousand times and you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'll have that. But Salim is like the new, the new exciting meal. It's like the, 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 new ribs. the new hot The new There we go. The McRib. <laughs> so welcome to our, our podcast. I know you are a big fan of of uh, Dawn of the Dead. And I actually, uh, you we're, we're in a film group together. Uh, and he had mm-hmm. shared some of his uh, horror writing. Uh, and I, I read through very a few. Good. Very good. I read through a few articles. Uh, oh, thank you. Views and thoughts. And I'm like, we need to get him on our our show, so we're so happy that not only are you joining us uh, in general, but you get to join us for 
think everyone on this podcast would agree, one of the best horror movies of all time. And I would agree with them. And I'm really glad to be here. It smells like a dead person, to be honest, but uh, uh, I am like, thank you guys for saying that about my writing and thank you for having me on. It is weird that you looked right at me when you said that. Is that, were you just, that's where your eyes were already or what's, what's anything I should know about what you just said? It's coming from your direction, but I'm sure that's just your natural musk. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying some new deodorant. Aaron hasn't. Uh, Aaron hasn't. Doesn't remember much from before the bite. It has always smelled like a corpse. And here at We Love to Watch uh, Recording Studio, um, mostly dead raccoons in the walls. Uh, I don't know why raccoons come to us to die, but they do uh, in record numbers. Uh, I well, see. What the it, fuck was that? Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. Don't worry about it. It's not anyone trying to get through a door they, to get at anyone. Uh, anyway, so Salim, though, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience um, while you still have time and, and tell and, and oh, tell everyone to show us the threat. Yeah, and tell us three things about yourself. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, as they said, my name is Salim Garami. The writing that they uh, mentioned is either from Movie Motor Breath or the thefilmexperience.net, uh, both of them uh, which I write for. Uh, three things about myself. I have a baby dog named Bruno, who is technically three years old and not a baby, but if you talk shit about him, I get very angry because only <laughs> I can talk shit about him. Uh, <laughs> We're very I, uh, pro-dog on this podcast. I'm very glad to hear. I would have been like, I made a mistake. Uh, <laughs> one of the guiltiest feelings I've ever had as a child was finding an open Snickers uh, uh, pack. You know, the ones that had like Snickers in them from like one of those warehouse shops like Costco, taking it, running outside and eating it. So I'm a thief forever. And that's haunted me <laughs> for the entirety of my life. That does explain that big uh, branding I've seen on your head that says T. <laughs> so I, I was didn't want to ask about it. Thought it might be too awkward to bring up, but I think that I think we've uh, closed some loops on what that is. To be honest, they were going to give me like a big red A for adulterer, but I think they ran out of those at Michael's. So they just said, you know what, we'll just go with the T. You're a what thief. Did you anyway. do, what did you do to that stickers? <laughs> <laughs> he was cheating on the three musketeers. <laughs> <laughs> that's great i love i love uh that you came on and you made this a little confessional we're getting closer to that chris gethard podcast every week that's right uh, salim i don't know about you i just feel like the way aaron's staring at us he's kind of objectifying us um he's got like a, a very it's like more than a male gaze i think i mean it's like a thousand yard stare uh, I mean, it's kind of impressive how like one eye is looking at you, Peter, and the other eye is looking at me. Uh, like, I don't think any living being can do that, to be honest. But I just think you guys look like, you know, big pieces of meat, which is the highest compliment I could ever imagine paying anyone. Oh, that's the highest compliment I've ever received. Yeah. Way more meat boys. Big, yeah. delicious pieces of raw meat with a, a candy setter near the top. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, I think we have one. I think we have one more thing about. I was going to say, Salim. I think we got one more thing out of you. We have to drag. Oh shit! But the third thing I have is that I was a little bit more sporty in high school than I thought I was. Because back when I was uh, back when I was a teenager, most of my thing was to watch movies 
and then read books and not do homework and avoid people. But then there was also the fact that just to keep myself out of the house, I did indulge in, in boxing. So, okay. so I, so I indulged in like some school sports. I was, uh, I was a boxer. I was in a local league for soccer and, uh, and then I, uh, I was in my high school wrestling team at one point. So I got soccer. I'm trained in soccer, wrestling, boxing, and zombie hunting. So. <laughs> Man, those first three sound great. I got some problems with the fourth one. I got to be honest yeah. with you a little bit. But first three, great. Let me ask you a question. How many times when you were training did you listen to Eye of the Tiger? Zero times, to be honest. Wow. I really should have. Yeah, you really kind of blew the the one time period in your life where Eye of the Tiger has the most meaning. Seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so I have to ask you a question. Since you're, you know, you're a trained boxer, um, how do you feel about the zombie punching and slapping in this movie in terms of form? I mean, I never really look to a movie for uh, for some kind of uh, skill in fighting. Not that, unless it's like something where I'm completely out of my league, like the raid. Uh, the zombie punching and slapping here definitely look like the way I punch and slap nowadays. Now that I haven't been boxing for a while, so uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so so uh, I'm not one to judge about them, like having to like completely like reel back and the way that the zombies like completely spin on one leg in an axis. <laughs> I'm gonna throw some I'm I'm gonna throw some out here. You guys can it's a theory, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. It almost seems like when the uh when the humans are attacking the zombies, it almost seems like they're worried if they push too hard they could hurt the zombies. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost it's, like, I don't know, uh, that these aren't professional stuntmen, but maybe just some people from the area that came by and dressed in zombie makeup. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, I guess a fourth thing to mention in case of like mispronouncing English words uh, for the listeners, uh, I, I'm not... English is my third language, so, I, I, like, if I, if I screw up, that's on me. Just just wanted to have an explanation for if I, like, done goof on, like, <laughs> mispronouncing something like foray or furry. I mean, technically, it's my first language, and I don't think you're going to be able to rival my ability to mispronounce words. So, <laughs> I'm going to second that. You are in good company. So, thank you so much, Salim. Uh, hey, Peter, we didn't really talk about this. Did we have any segment or games or anything? We did not, because... We, we were doing all the Spooktober stuff. Yes. So, uh, one thing I wanted to do this week with you that I we also did last week. Uh, we couldn't do it did, last week. Did, listen, did listen to the dead. episode. Yeah. Legally dead. So, what I wanted to do was just kind of get everyone's general thoughts on George, because this is a tribute month to George Romero uh, and other George Romero movies. Like, what... Uh, so... When what was the first George Romero movie you watched, Salim? And like, what? How do you feel about him generally as a director? Obviously, he passed away in July. I think July sixteenth. Uh, so, yeah, the reason that we we kind of moved this up to November that obviously we we wanted to do something uh, in our version of honoring his memory. And obviously, these first four dead movies are uh, some of my favorites. 
uh, some of Peter's favorites. So it was kind of a no brainer for us to our next open month kind of go through go through some really big hitters here. My feelings about George Romero are uh, I have like in my mind a list of movies that uh, I that I think definitely shaped me as a moviegoer and as an aspiring filmmaker, like a lot of guys. Possibly like close to the very top of that is Night of the Living Dead, which was my very first uh, George Romero George Romero movie. It wasn't the first time I saw, but like one of my favorite like going to see a horror movie in the theater memories was uh, my first week in college when two friends that I was just getting acquainted with and I decided to go see a double feature of Halloween and Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Except we came too late for Halloween. So we only saw Night of the Living Dead. But I was like watching it at midnight and seeing like the whole scenes behind uh, low budget filmmaking and how easy it was to ignore them when you get engrossed into the story itself and the 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 ingenuity that like low budget filmmaking just automatically demands that even if i don't really like a movie that i know has a low budget i can sort of respect that they were able to like get it finished like that uh night of the living dead has all of those things I, it also shaped me a lot more as a person uh in its very unsubtle but clearly like teething and biting and and harsh and nihilistic attitudes about race relations which are in my opinion a lot more valid to the today than yeah. I, I don't want to say they're more valid today than they were in 1968 but spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen uh night of living dead i think the concept of a white man killing a black man in a state of confusion and with uh, in, a, in a state of confusion and without consequences, outrageously, outrageously relevant in the 2010s. Yeah. Uh, well, this I, it feels like night, I didn't get a chance to talk about Night of the Living Dead last week, but yeah, that ending feels like you know if a version of that was the ending of Get Out, which is what I think a lot of people thought it was going to be before kind of the twist. I mean, yeah, yeah ripped out of today's headlines and no one would bat an eye. Exactly. It is my favorite horror movie of all time. One of the movies that changed my life. Uh, one of the movies that really inspired me to want to be a filmmaker. Uh, there's there's other things I definitely love George Romero for. I do think, and I think we'll get to this, but I do think that I don't have much of an argument against the idea that Dawn of the Dead is a better movie, even if I prefer that of Living Dead. Uh, Creep Show, obviously, I watched as a kid. Uh, it was one of so confession and excuse me for like just rambling on no Uh, no this is this is george romero month this is the ramble month because he inspires like actual passion in everybody we talk to exactly uh so creep show uh confession tales from the crypt was a show that i kind of grew up watching but not really because my mom is a huge fan and we uh, and I guess this was okay because in Algeria we kind of only got the uh, the censored version for obvious reasons like Muslim standards and all that. But uh, the Crypt Keeper terrified the shit out of me, and it made it to the point where even looking at the logo of Tales from the Crypt as a child kind of gave me a mini heart attack and made me want to run out of the room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like he, he he fucked me up, man. So, so Creepshow was like one of the ways that I was able to like ease up back into being a fan of Tales yeah. from the Crypt after being traumatized as a kid. Uh, 
And I also think it's a really fun movie. Just in general, it's 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 got a lot of energy uh, that like even Dawn of the Dead, which is kind of funny and has energy, is is like uh, it just doesn't have the way that Creepshow does. It's Creepshow to me is one of the clear like signs that you like the best type of movies are the ones that are made by people who love to make movies and especially yeah. people who are like inspired by the source material as George Romero and Stephen King both were. Uh, Martin was a bitch and a half to find and I think that's that can be said for like most people but it's but it's you know uh, it's also a really fun and and way more bounties way more bouncy comedy than I expected for like a, a movie like that I would have expected something dark like Vampire's Kiss and Martin does have a bit of darkness to it but it doesn't have one that like completely kills the fun yeah Mar- Martin shows like a complete uh, command of tone so like Dawn of the Dead where he like started to um, push more into doing like co- outright comedy and outright goofiness and then smash it up against the horror and Martin it feels like a dance like he like will cut into this uh this comedic sequence and then the comedic sequence will start to turn and like it it feels more uh yep. elegant and dawn of the dead has a really like 70s punchy quality so like there'll be a joke right in the middle of tr- a, a scream martin is a really impressive movie on that front it shows george like just creep show similarly george just like figured out how to make people laugh and scream in the same minute and it makes for such fun movies Yep. Martin's like definitely one of his most artful films. Like I, I would argue it is his most artful film. Dawn of the Dead, my, my love for the side. Knight Rider is also Knight Riders is also one that's really fun and something that's like way out of out of like type for George Romero that I wouldn't have expected. I don't know if you guys saw that. I haven't se- I have not seen that one yet. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah. 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 Ed Harris yeah. is like the lead, uh, the, like the lead night writer or whatever you call it. And he's a yep. little community of, yeah. For, for those who are listening, it's, it's about a bunch of bikers in night armor, like basically just. And, and David Hasselhoff has the talking car. And it's David... like, what if Ren, it's like, what if Ren <laughs> Fair people were actually badass? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, 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 it's. Not really like a stable film, but it's but it's one that's enjoyable for the time being. Uh, obviously, like the the dead films, like even once they became kind of, in, in my opinion, I wasn't like too much fond of the post Day of the Dead films. I love Day of the Dead too. I think it's like the darkest film he's made. Oh yeah, it's so like, bleak. It's it's so much bleaker than Night of the Living Dead, and I did not expect that the first time I watched it. <laughs> uh, George inspires such passion in people, and like Salim was saying, I don't know if Aaron was this way, but like Watching Dawn of the Dead, watching a lot of uh, particularly early George stuff made me want to be a filmmaker. So I was the same way. I will say it wasn't with Romero. I mean, I went, I took a bunch of film classes, made a bunch of short films in college too. Uh, it would, and it was, it was Sam Raimi. It was like the Evil Dead, reading if sins could kill. It was yeah. like. It was like learning how they were doing all these like amazing things with no money. And it was like, oh, I could I could strap a camera to a two by four and run through the woods, you know, like maybe not that specifically. But, oh, that's what I need to be thinking about when I'm making these things. So that was which actually dovetails perfectly. I mentioned this on when we were uh, talked about it on our Ghost of Mars episode. But Romero for me was was hugely important maybe not my desire at one point in my life to be a filmmaker but he was crucial in me taking um 
looking at horror in the proper way. So I, I'll, I'll just do the bullet point of this so I'm not repeating stuff from a previous episode. But tra- I saw horror as a lesser genre. Um, my parents kind of dismissed it growing up. They didn't care. Oh, stupid horror movie. You know, and I just I never really got into it. Uh, and when I did, it was it was the Evil Dead's, the Evil Dead 2's or the or you rent stuff to laugh at it with friends. So there was like two categories of horror movies for me. There was uh, horror comedies, which I loved. Uh, and then movies that were horror movies that you laughed at for being stupid in high yes. school. And it wasn't until I saw Dawn of the Dead, which was the first Romero movie I watched, that I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, th- this is a straight horror movie. This is not mocking the genre. This is not a bad example of the genre. But uh, I think I said on that episode, I'll repeat here, you know, I, I, it was so good. I was saying stupid stuff like, this is as good as a movie today. Um, and I, I became, you know... <laughs> That's those stupid things you say when you're 15 years old and you just see a movie that kind of changes the way you view a genre. Um, I don't think it's stupid. Uh, yes. Zo- but zombies immediately became uh, one of my favorite things. Um, and, I, you know, I watched uh, Day. I watched Night. I was, you know, went to theaters when Land came out. I was so excited. And then really kind of decried the lack of other zombie properties. Um, I liked all the 28 Days Later stuff and the remake that was coming out uh, a little after this, too. But I was like, yeah, but this isn't the same. Like, why don't people make movies this good? And, and what I didn't realize at the time that I definitely realize now, having seen, you know, hundreds of exa- examples of the horror genre, it's it's because they literally don't make movies this good. This this is one of my top 50 movies of all time. It, it is a calling card movie. It is something he'll be remembered for the rest of his life. And, and leave it to George Romero, I suppose, to have two of those. Because, like you said, Salim, Night of the Living Dead... While, while I do prefer Dawn, is every bit the masterpiece that Dawn is as well. So that's kind of – that was my Romero's, this idea of like this this guy just made these masterpieces. And I eventually uh, – it probably wasn't until like you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, uh, a few years after I saw those, that I went and saw stuff like Martin and Creepshow. Uh, and I love those as well. Uh, but I got to tell you, my favorite is there's always vanilla. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's one I missed. That was I've never, I've never seen that one. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say like, how did you see that? That's what is is uh, second movie, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. This, this movie. Uh, so uh, a lot of his movies are getting hard to find. The Crazies and Martin both are tougher to find. Uh, yep. And then also Dawn of the Dead for reasons that are kind of unclear. It has something to do with the remake, though. Dawn of the Dead. Uh, actually, also. I guess it doesn't, think it Peter. Was, yeah. It has to do with the th- – so the guy that owned the rights paid a shit ton of money to convert uh, it to a 3D version when that was popular. Yeah. Uh, he is now not selling the rights because he wants he wants to recoup all the money for that 3D version and no one's paying him enough money to release it. Yeah, because uh, he made a boneheaded decision. Yeah. Wow. Um, by the way, I want to show solidarity with you, Aaron, because the other like movie that makes me want to be a filmmaker, there, there's three. One of them is Mad Max, like the original Mad Max. Oh, so one yeah. One of them is Night of the Living Dead, but the other one is The Evil Dead. And all of those, for the same reason, they're low-budget like movies that really like squeeze every penny and make the most of themselves. Yeah. Uh, so, like, The Evil Dead is another big one. So, so just wanted to you, – you can't see my fist, but my fist is raised up with something. <laughs> yeah. So, for me, Romero really is, and Dawn of the Dead specifically, 
I mean, it's the reason why I think of horror movies as my favorite genre to this day. I mean, I and I, and I can't think of a greater compliment to to pay a movie. I mean, people that listen to this podcast, you know, we cover a lot of horror movies. We do the 31 Days of Horror. I mean, he, he was my gateway to the Carpenters and a level of sincerity in horror and appreciating them not appreciating them at the level they're they're aiming for and not just watching uh some of the more sincere attempts at a horror movie as something to say uh laugh or even the the genre itself was was a lesser genre so i mean that's that's kind of what romero educated me on is that actually that these these are these can be allegorical these can be masterpieces that i was i was viewing the genre in a light that it didn't it didn't deserve to so with that, with that being said, it feels like a perfect time to start talking about the movie that made me appreciate horror, that inspired Salim to be a filmmaker, and, well, that was, I guess, Night of the Living Dead, but we're going to say close, <laughs> close enough, uh, and, and Peter, a combination of both. Do you guys want to talk about Dawn of the Dead? Yes, let's talk about Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, let's okay. do it. Is that what okay. we're here for? That's what we're here for. <laughs> I was under the All right, Zack Snyder. So what alternate taglines do you have this week, Aaron? Well, your alternate taglines. Uh, I alternate assume. taglines? Who okay. did the 90-second recap last week? I there was, was dead. No one to do, there was no I, one to do uh, the other one, so I just did 90-second recap because we can't get by without it. Yeah. I know. I assumed it wasn't me. I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I was legally dead. Aaron, good luck. was your good trip fucking, by the way, to the other side? <laughs> Good fucking luck with alternate taglines because this movie has one of my favorite actual taglines of all time. Yeah. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have this poster in my room growing up and I would read that all the time and it was just like, God damn, that's a good tagline. It's a good tagline. Good tagline. So How about you got? <laughs> when there's ample room in hell, but uh, yeah, no, I got nothing. How about it's 6 a.m. Time for the dead to get out of bed. <laughs> it's uh, dawn. It's dawn. Yeah. <laughs> no. just, a, just, a, just a rooster noise. Just cock-a-doodle-doo. It's yeah. the dawn of the dead. <laughs> it could go even worse. It could be like capitalism turns us all into zombies. Which, to be fair, to be fair, I love the message of this movie. But uh, there, there, I've heard a lot of uh, douchebaggery about talking about this movie. Like, yeah, man, capitalism just makes everybody into a zombie. There is no ethical cons. Oh. There is no ethical consumption under capitalism. <laughs> a flesh. Um, I do think that this is the movie that um is the reason for the fetishizing of man. I would love it if there was a zombie apocalypse. I think it's this movie specifically his fault because no one wanted to hang out. Like no one watched Night of the Living Dead and was like, you know, it'd be great if I could hang out in a little small farmhouse 
wow, people yelled at me about where to put uh, nails and hammers and boards. Where this one, it's <laughs> like, it's like, oh yeah, I can just run around the mall forever. Like, I think people just like malls and then think they want a zombie apocalypse. So I think that both the movies, weirdly enough, um, predicted and uh, argued against zombie survivalist bros. I think the part of the message of, of Night of the Dead, like the, the standout message is that rationality and reason do not work in a zombie apocalypse. It's not going to help you out. Everybody's going to die anyway. You have like no chance, no matter how much you try to like do everything right. This isn't a world where doing everything right means you get to survive. It's like so, and then and then my and then my other point was about Dawn of the Dead. Just like Salim was saying, like I think like this, I think it uh, that is a good argument against the hyper rationalist bros who think in like a zombie apocalypse, like I'd have the one, I'd be the one with my head on straight. Just like with that in Dawn of the Dead, it has a really good argument against people who, you know, look forward to the apocalypse, even though I think that's more of a thing now than it was in the 70s. I wasn't alive in the 70s, but I imagine it was that these people get everything they want in terms of creature comforts, in terms of capitalism. They get every survival gear that they could get. Like they get everything that they could ever want. And yet they're not happy. They're fucking miserable. And that's another argument against the end of the world. It's like, yeah, you build your little community, you, you stack up on food, you get everything going. And then at the end of the day, um, you still want to murder each other. But I will say that they are a little happy in the middle. Yeah. Right? And they do have fun. That's and the point. Compared, yeah. compared, to ni- compared to night. Yeah. Compared to night and day, there are moments of like, oh, here's how this could bring a type of fun that I'm not able to have outside of a zombie apocalypse. So I do think that this this movie specifically, I mean, all of George's uh, zombie movies influenced every other zombie movie, obviously. But I do think that this is the one that kind of started that idea for those uh, zombie survivalist bros that, oh, it could be kind of fun. Yeah. One was dead. But it, it, it's sort of like Super people gross. that like, uh, idolize Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, and they're like they. It's not like George's they, fault. It's like they turned off the movie in the last thirty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh yeah, it's great, and then uh, everybody lives happily ever after, and they just like hit eject. <laughs> like instead, they don't see the horrific downfall from that high. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so ninety second recap. Let me, you know, and again, I I've seen this movie many times. I do have a kind of a new perspective on it, but I still think I can do a good job, kind of saying what happens in this movie. So you have Stephen. And uh, Fran, and they are boyfriend and girlfriend. She works at a uh, news station. He's a helicopter pilot. Both look pretty tasty. Uh, They're like, hey, I think this zombie apocalypse that we saw in Night of the Living Dead is really, it's really happening. Let's get out of the city. Um, Meanwhile, we meet Peter and Roger. And they are policemen, SWAT teams, uh, and they're they're hassling this a bunch of people in this building, kind of a drug den filled with uh, filled with a bunch of zombies. Here's the thing about the zombies in this movie: our heroes, they really don't hassle anyone that is also a zombie. Which in this movie is most people. You can't say the same thing about Peter and Roger and Stephen and Fran. Uh, they're they're hassling everybody. 
other humans. Business. Zombies. So much business is happening. <laughs> Two people. So, anyways, so they they get off and flee instead of you know uh, submit to people that are hungry and try to you know give themselves for something bigger. Uh, and they they fly off and they eventually land at this mall, and the these dicks, these huge assholes. They're like, hey, all you zombies, just trying really hard to. Uh, press through the glass and get into the mall through osmosis. Uh, we're going to lock all the doors. We're going to put trucks up. We're going to kill all you ones in the mall. Literally commit a genocide to these to these roving uh, bands of zombies. Meanwhile, unfortunately, one of our one of our humans, someone gets a little bite out of him, out of Roger. I mean, some, someone got a really tasty bite, didn't get to finish it, still wants to. And uh, and he's kind of slowly dying. And meanwhile, they're kind of having fun at the mall, trying to figure out how to survive, join the creature comforts, and then a lot of things happen. First, Roger takes a turn for the worst, but is reborn as one of the good guys. Uh, and <laughs> briefly, briefly. Well, very, very weird. Uh, very weird association of the zombies as good guys. It'd almost be like you have a bias, Aaron. Well, they're just hung. <laughs> they're just hungry. They're just walking around. They're not bothering anyone. Hey, they were in the mall first, Salim. Uh, who's the aggressors in this movie? That's true. So, anyways, there's a there's a uh, not only a capitalist bent to this movie, there's also a colonialist bent to this movie. And oh, yeah. uh, so, anyways, uh, so yes, yeah, so, so then all of a sudden, these other uh, bad guys on motorcycles come, and they're like, "Well, let's go and and shoot and commit another genocide." And all now, now both groups of bad guys are fighting each other while the zombies just want to have a just want to have a little meal. They're just a little hungry, but no people are throwing axes and shit in their face. <laughs> Listen, if the zombies were really that hungry, Aaron, they wouldn't mind having pies like shoved into their faces. That would I mean, be like a respite for them. Look, they didn't like it. <laughs> They tried it. They're picky eaters, okay? You know why? It's because they read the original script for Dr. Strangelove <laughs> and it ended with a pie fight. They're like, no, thank you. It's better the way it was released. And that translated to food tasting as well. <laughs> Look, if you can't follow the logic, it's okay. My brain is working at a different level than all you guys right now. Uh, so, so uh, the bikers, they end up fending them off. They end up finally giving these zombies a nice meal. Uh, and the two bad guys unfortunately escape. Steve and Stephen Fran, they get away from the justice that was awaiting them and may, helping other people survive. And they fly off into the sunset. Not uh, Steve. Not knowing where to go. Or. No, not Steve, though. You said Steve. It's uh, Steve dies fighting the bikers. Oh, not Steve. Peter. Yeah. But Peter, yeah, Peter's the one who, like, escapes. Yeah, yeah. Pe so, Peter and so, Fran. So, Aaron, in your reading of this, this is sort of like a French connection ending. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got, look, it's like a mostly happy ending, except two zombies that could have not gone starving ended up going starving because two meals flew away in a crazy flying uh, contraption that my brain doesn't comprehend. Yeah. Um, you Magic? Know, they flew away in magic. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, Aaron. Uh, I'm just saying those crazy flying things. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe don't stand on a box anywhere near them. Just generally don't go anywhere near those crazy flying things. They're very dangerous for your kind. What if the meals are in the center of the big crazy contraption? Then I'm of course, say, then of course, I would walk towards that, Peter. I'm what else say, would I do? Slowly, of practice course. Practice self-respect and self-restraint. Okay. Brain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Aaron, that was a lovely, uh, if inaccurate, 90 second recap. How dare uh, you? Uh, but yeah, so where to begin with this? We were talking about the messaging in the movie briefly. We sort of skimmed at it, but this is, this is a movie about, this is a movie about people taking over a mall, getting everything they ever wanted, uh, which, you know, sort of like in Goodfellas when they show off his apartment. And you're, it's supposed to be, like, the height of luxury. But, like, to us, it looks like a Florida grandmother's house. It's a little gaudy. A little gaudy. Sort of like that. There's, like, some 70s stuff in there where I'm like, these video games look like dog shit. But at the time, uh, they were probably... Uh, hey, did my phone get a reception? Is this small? <laughs> probably it's, not. So they look really happy. And that's what matters. And this mall, where do we fucking begin with Dawn of the Dead, man? This is like the most fun movie, but like it is two hours and seven minutes that flies by for me every time I watch it. So why don't I do Seriously. this? I, I basically have no criticisms of the movie. I know. I, what do we do? Like, how But, do I, do, but I do have one. I do have one. I do have one. So here's one thing I think could have mildly improved the pace. And I'll, it's the only negative thing I had to say. And I'm still kind of scraping because there's parts of it I like. I think... I think the second scene where they're doing the the drug den bust or whatever, I think that's a little superfluous. Because I know that you're learning about the zombies in case you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead. You're seeing the overpowering odds. But I think the next scenes in the countryside do that a little bit better. Um, and I, I, it kind of stops the momentum of the first scene where they're, they have to escape and there's a, the apocalypse is coming. And let's get on the helicopter. And then it kind of has like... I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll agree that probably just because there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm sure the police still want to go in and fuck with people for no reason. Uh, but that kind of breaks a little bit of the momentum. But then after that, I mean, the rest of the movie is just full speed ahead. And so Martinez, sorry, well, well, we, I want to camp there for a sec. That's fine. But I just want to say, but it is almost worth it for the scene in the basement uh, where they have to slowly kill everyone. And you see where they've put all the sick people like wrapped in bags and stuff. It is so, so creepy and one of the best zombie execution scenes because uh, I think one of the problems is the, with The Walking Dead is like as the show gets more callous towards zombie kills and more just throws them in, I think that the show has forgotten that like people think of these zombies as people for much of like that's the reason uh-huh. zombies are scary is because people think of them as people. If you get too far away from that, it kind of not only loses the horror, but loses the humanity of it, becomes something else. That basement scene is so, so stirring. And I was, I was glad you called that out because, like, that's – I'm glad we're at least on that page. Um, but the Martinez stuff is really great because you get to see them them pulling away from society. In and in, 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 like you say, the countryside scenes do do that. But then pulling away from society where they're like just trying to do their job. And then Roger sees like a couple young kids he's with just get murdered for nothing by a bunch of people. And that drives them away from people so much that by the time they've gotten in the helicopter, they won't even share cigarettes with the guy, the cop. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good scene. Except for the horrible acting of that guy. That guy is a goof. I I think there's uh, like I think the SWAT scene is – like essential for one it's 
the only time we actually see the zombies within the the actual context of society up until the very end of the movie. Uh, I was mentioning like earlier on while we were talking about George Romero how I loved his idea of giving specific distinctive personality to like at least one zombie to make it stand out from the horde despite the fact that he shouldn't have that and should be just one of like many faceless like piles of meat that one of the moments that first introduces that is that SWAT scene. That's that place, which may very well be a drug den, but it was very clearly to me like Section 80 type of housing uh, housing project. This is very like fascistic. Uh, this is a very fascistic exercise that the that the SWAT is like you know enacting in the in the middle of it. It's very it, it's it's pretty pretty close to racism. I, I don't remember very much if there's like any white person inside that housing project to begin with. And even though one of the SWAT members, obviously the one that we think is the coolest, Peter, is black, there, there's there's clearly some sort of racial coding to me that's just as clear as in Night of Living Dead. But like the the reason why the SWAT team is like. Uh, pushing themselves in is apparently that the National Guard put out an order that they have to give their dead over for obvious reasons. I mean, the, if you're if somebody's dead, he's going to turn into a zombie. The National Guard wants every resident to to turn in their dead, and the people in there won't do it because uh, you know it's 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 their relatives, it's their family, it's it's their friends. They they don't want to do it, so they're forcing their way into there. And and try and trying to take them down. That's why in the basement there's a whole bunch of bodies in bags, and and they have to like kill them themselves and all that. There's there's a particularly horrifying scene in the middle of an extremely intense scene, where some guy just like gets gets shot dead immediately before he even has a chance to defend himself, and his girlfriend or wife is like, uh, it's like seeing him rise back up. It's the same guy. The makeup is good because it removes features, uh, gives you a slate gray look. It's it's a bit comic booky, and I'm sure it's gaudy and like you know so, sort of like dumb and cartoonish, but it works. It like removes your features, and suddenly it's it's very clearly the same the same actor we saw, and yet at the same time he's completely neutralized, like in every way. You know, it's sort of funny you mentioned the makeup just because Tom Zavini has said that he really didn't like the way the coloring. Yeah, I thought it was too blue, and he wanted it to kind of be gray and dull. Um, so, but I, I agree. I the makeup does not actually bother me at all in this movie. I, I read that, but but I do actually love the color that he used. I mean, yeah. so many if he's if he's unsatisfied with his work, I'm very sorry for that. But I but I wish I could like make something so garbage that so so garbage that that's my most garbage thing yeah. in my opinion. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. This is a candy-colored movie. It has its Italian influence because of Argento. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I, I agree. The, the makeup's amazing. Yep. So I want to go back quickly before we move on. And that actually – so I didn't realize that that was the reason why they were going into that house they, so that they could force these – the people that lives in these projects to turn over their dead. Yep. And that actually makes the scene work for me a little bit better because I was very unclear of the motivation besides just, again – cops being dicks or something like that, which, again, that's a realistic enough of a motivation for me to buy. But I must have missed that because not only does it hit those points that you mentioned, it also shows the futility of going to house to house with these SWAT teams and trying to get rid of all the dead. Like there's there's more dead than than people. It is a it is a winless war. 
Yep. Yeah, and the and the Peter and, and Peter's sort of uh, coming into the movie is important to me for two reasons. One, Peter does the right thing, which is when there's an unstoppable fucking murder machine who's shooting zombies like they're people and people like they're zombies. Also playing into Romero's theme that like you know a people are worse than zombies. Like Romero starts to have sympathy for the zombies in this movie way more than people. Yeah. The heroes of the movie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then B uh, that, you know, what's the difference between us and them anyways. So when uh, Peter shoots Wooly, he's willing to do what's what needs to be done. Peter immediately has to kind of go step away and go hide in the basement. And when Peter and Roger meet, because they don't know each other, Yep. Uh, Peter thinks Roger is going to shoot him for uh, fragging one of their own men. And Roger's like, no, man, I'm not like him. I'm not like any of those people. So that's important right off the bat. It bonds them through a we're abandoning post. We're jumping ship. This is a awful evil evil organization, which makes us like them. Right. Like you were saying. Yeah. Racist angle. And then two, this is something I didn't catch till this viewing. And how many times do you think you guys have seen this movie? 20? Less than 10, but more than 5. Yeah, like, it's just a lot. A fucking lot. (laughs) Um, I've watched it a ton since I've been, like, 6th grade, so 20 sounds about right. Uh, Something like that. I never noticed this before. Roger, when Roger goes crazy and then gets bitten, it reminds me a lot of the Wooly going crazy sequence, where they're just having... Roger starts having too much fun killing the zombies. Like, Roger starts turning into this, like, rabid fanatic for killing the zombies, and it's like he caught Wooly's disease. And that's one of the reasons I... One of the things I caught this time around, that, like, that's what killed him, was him just, like, turning into this... Well, yeah, well, that whole whole truck scene where he's just, like, really... Not just scared, but, like, taking out his anger and his frustration on uh, the zombies, which, A, as we talked about, didn't do anything wrong or the good guys. But also, it's such an impotent way to express rage. It's like you are putting yourself at risk to destroy these things that are, you know, that are just lumbering. They, they're, they're not out to get you. It, it's, it'd be like, you know, getting angry at mosquitoes to the level that you put yourself in severe danger. And also, yeah. this is a this is a, a uh, let's talk about this real quick. Just establish this real quick. One thing that people forget about Romero zombies, and this is also Walking Dead zombies, is that um, a we don't need to uh, pretend like the Walking Dead is good or exists. If you, <laughs> it's the most like prominent zombie <laughs> thing though. Now, hey man, um, the Walking Dead is my favorite movie of all time. Nah, I'm fucking kidding. <laughs> Fuck that show. Uh, I like the first season and I like a couple things in season four. And then after it got shitty again, I was like, wait, why do I keep doing this ebb and flow with this terrible show? Anyways, <laughs> I quit. So, I quit in season two. So I quit when Shane left. Yes. Uh, just to uh, clarify in the Romero universe, it's not an infection so much. Uh, every one of these movies establishes a sort of theory for what uh, causes the zombie uh, apocalypse, but is never um prescriptivists are never uh, objective about what it is in this it is everybody that dies rises up as long as your brain is intact when you die you become uh, a zombie if you get bit you're dying from the infection and then turning into a zombie if you get shot you die you turn into a zombie everybody just which is the scariest version of it i like i honestly 100%. think that's why the tagline also works so well with the themes of the movie this idea that yeah there is no more room left in hell. 
when you die, you're just going to get right back up again. It doesn't matter if the zombies got you, that this is just now what happens to dead people. And I do think that is the scariest version of uh, of a zombie mythos is just, yep, we don't know. There's not a virus. It's not a disease. It's not something in the food. It is just – it's not a genetic modification. It's just – for some reason now when people die, they get back up. Mm-hmm. So here's – before we – I know a lot of people like talking about the uh, zombies as an allegory uh, for consumerism and stuff like that. And that's obviously present in this movie. One thing I don't think gets enough credit that all of Romero's movies do really well, but I think this one in particular, is the body horror aspect of like changing into a zombie. Mm-hmm. Which is, in a lot of ways, sometimes more interesting to me than uh, the allegorical parts of some of the like militarism or consumerism, uh, just because Romero does it so well. And this is one where we really get to spend a lot of time with um, Roger. Roger, yeah, yeah, Roger. You're talking about the one that gets bit first, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I know where you're going with this. And yeah, like where we're, you're going we're, with we get to see Roger like slowly change and slowly lose his autonomy and his control over mm-hmm. his body, and of having that that change uh, come over you. I actually think one of the more terrifying parts of this movie is when all the zombies when they change and they just sort of like press themselves into the glass and they just keep doing it and that idea of being condemned into this world where you are just you know you want to get inside you don't know how to do that so you just push and like that is your life from then on and then pretty soon we get those scenes of the flood and flood of other zombies coming up and pressing they just are this force that just walks around aimlessly or pushes against stuff. That's why they're at the mall in the first place is because, you know, as as people lay out pretty clearly in this movie, they're going back to what they were used to and to just kind of be that shell of yourself forced into this hell of walking around looking for dwindling food. I think that is such a terrifying aspect. Most people, when they view zombie movies, they're viewing it from, I don't want to get eaten by zombies and that's scary. But... Most of the people get turned into zombies. And this this is one of the few zombie movies, I think, that really does a great job of presenting what a horror that would be. Yeah. Body horror, to me, uh, is something that really plays off the, the concept of uh, this is this is you. This this body is you. And if you're doing something, you like, if your body is acting against you, that's just a violation outright. Yeah. And it shouldn't be happening. Roger... Uh, sadly has to live with that for like a, a good portion of his screen time because we see him bit and then we see him slowly die while Peter watches. That's another way, by the way, that uh, of Dawn of the Dead introducing the concept of like this person that we know is now a zombie that we can recognize him, but it's sadly it's not him anymore and and distinction again within the mass and and the and i i never thought of this before but you mentioned the zombies pressing against the glass and the concept of like all the humans like having to like move around the mall with the zombies like watching them through the glass like pressing and trying to get inside just because they're there uh it makes me think about how night of living dead was inspired by I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, which yeah. now I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Amazing uh, book. Amazing, amazing book. One of my favorite books ever. Obviously, within I Am Legend, the book, the, the vampires 
like nightly just come out and and try to taunt and calm him and like lure him out uh robert neville the main character of i am legend and obviously the zombies can't like verbally communicate but that's what it feels like to me the idea that like these monsters outside have their eyes on you no matter what no matter how much you try you could try to like you know muffle them out and ever or ever or anything you could try to give yourself like a sense of normalcy like neville and i am legend or the characters in dawn of the dead because we were talking about how they just like indulge in their and they're uh, trying to indulge in it and that's how like the movie sort of like makes makes them all look fun and yeah. part, part of that is it's, it's celebrity because it's got a comedic side to it. It's 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 not like you can't save yourself from that and, and the watching eyes no matter how much you try to normalize it. Well, that's why I really, you know, in all the debate between slow and fast zombies, people talk about which one's scarier. But why – like I don't have a problem with fast zombies. I mean there's great mm-hmm. movies with fast zombies. But yeah. why, why I think slow zombies are, especially when done by Romero, so much more terrifying is they, they feel more like a force of nature. It's slow. It's also overwhelming. And it's overwhelming to the point that you as a lone human are not going to be able to escape from it. You may be able to get high ground for the moment. You may be able to seal yourself behind the gates, but it, it has it is a force of nature that is going in one direction, and that direction is towards you. Yeah. This movie recognizes a fact that very few zombie movies do, which is that like one on one, if you're like if you've got the the chutzpah, you got you got a good weapon and you got like a you know, a motivation, you can take down a zombie very easily. It yeah. is when you don't take them seriously and you let them gang up on you and you let them surround you. And that's like how most of the bikers die. It's just like making a joke out of this and like, oh, shit, wait, there's 40 of them around me. When you don't take it seriously and you don't um, treat it as a threat, and you make a big joke out of it. All of a sudden that wall, it reaches you and there is nothing you can do. Yeah. And it's what's why I love the movie mostly is because of that balance between the comedy and the horror where like they're fucking around in the mall and they're like throwing uh, the the bikers are fucking around in the mall and they throw pies in the zombies faces and they're having a party essentially. So disrespectful. So disrespectful. And they're basically having a party where they're bullying the zombies and you kind of feel bad for the zombies as George intends. I know Aaron for sure feels bad. Oh, for sure. Aaron, there's so many heroes in this movie, guys. So, like, <laughs> it's almost like I've never – that's the other thing I didn't mention. I've never seen a movie, and George doesn't get enough credit for this, that has this many protagonists. Like, there's at least two to 3,000 protagonists I think I saw on screen. And I, I rooted for everyone. <laughs> uh, couldn't agree with you less. Thank you so much for your perspective is, I think, what I'm supposed to say here. Thank you for your perspective. What was I saying? Oh, so there's they make a big joke out of it. They throw pies in their faces. And there's even a sequence where a guy is like so fucking around. He's like, I want to try the blood pressure machine out and puts his arm in the blood pressure machine. And the zombies, of course, tear him the fuck apart because you can't get out of the blood pressure machine once it starts. Let's be clear. Of all the fucking stupid guys, that guy's the dumbest. He is. A, who gives? Why do you want to know your blood pressure? Who gives a shit? So Two, like, why would you sit down? You know, like, like, I don't care. Like, if you're like, ah, oh, it's a joke. I'm going to run up and punch him in the face and throw pies. And I'm like, oh, let me sit down and get a reading quick. Like, that doesn't fit with what they're doing. Yeah, that guy deserved everything that happened to him. And again, look, just scrumptious. Oh, my God. He was a better meal than a, a member of that team, I will say. The fact that he made it to the blood pressure machine is 
telling about how much uh, other people in that gang had his back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he is definitely uh, lagging behind. He's not a... Uh... He was the son of the gang's founder. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Heard you guys were being real mean to Billy the other day, and I need you to know something. He's with me, okay? He's with me. Billy's a very special young man. He's like, Dad, Dad, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. And he's like humping like a plastic deer. He's like, Billy's my special boy and you take oh, care Billy, of him. Billy definitely fucked a plastic deer at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Don does a great job as long as we're talking about Billy getting ripped apart in the blood pressure machine. As he deserves. As he deserves. As they all do. Uh, the, uh, they really do save. Savini like holds on. It's It's... And really goes nuts in those last 20 minutes. And it is spectacular. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the way he plays with the the dead is just like he makes it into this big party and he has like the sword and he's like galloping around and he like wants to get revenge on Peter specifically. Like he, he really steals the movie away from whoever the um, the fat gang leader is that initially threatens them over the radio. So I, I agree with you 100 percent. Uh, to make my point way more clear, though, I meant the makeup effects. Like he holds oh. out for those make. Like there's a there's little a lot bit of in the movie. I wasn't sure which one. <laughs> yeah, was. sorry. Yeah, he wore a lot of hats. We talked about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, they really like they don't. There's not that much gore. There's a little bit, but really, it's when it, they they save that for the last twenty minutes, and then it really goes nuts. Which, uh, like, there's some gore in Night of the Living Dead, uh, but you know it's black and white. Not as much. Uh, you know, this movie was famously kind of released. Uh, he didn't want to get an X rating. He released it unrated. And if you're watching this movie for the first time, you're probably like, oh, there's, you know, there's some bullet holes. There's a couple things. This really was the first time that anyone saw this level of like Romero zombie craziness. And they saved that for the, the last 20 minutes. And it is worth uh, it is worth the entire wait. Yeah, I think it's I think it's some of Sabini's most indulgent work in a very, very great way. Well, he says I listened to a little bit of the commentary for this movie this time around. He says on the commentary that we would just call each other other every day with ideas of how to kill people. And that's what we spent six months doing is, oh, hey, I have an idea how we could kill someone that would be interesting. And then they use almost all that for the last 20 minutes. Yep. That's got to be that's got to be a healthy mind place to be, by the way. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. So we, I want to kind of step back a little bit also and jump to something that uh, Roger says as he's fading. And he says, we whipped him and, and we got it all. And it has this line that he yells it to the other room to, uh, you know, Roger's dying. And he's yelling it to Peter in the other room. And Peter is actually, this shows you how much the genre has changed. Peter is getting drunk just to be able to do what needs to be done and killing Roger. He is, uh, he said, yeah, he goes, we whipped him and we got it all. Like, he's clearly, like, uh, high on morphine, but, like, trying to justify, um, you know, I died, but, you know, at least we got him. We got one over. He doesn't say who them is. I'm assuming he means the zombies, obviously. It's the, the clearest one. But he also, I think he means, like, other people. Like, they won this, like, capitalist game. They got... They got the they got everything that they wanted. And like so they conquered this mall. Uh, they, they just had to pay a very specific price, which was like Roger. And after that, the team kind of loses some of its innocence where like 
they're all kind of more detached from one another and they start to like turn in on each other a little bit. Uh, Fran yep. turns down um, Roger's marriage proposal, or excuse me, Steve, Stevens. Yeah. Stevens' marriage proposal. Um, she says it wouldn't be real now, which is like really telling that like they they know it's temporary. Yes, they know it's they know it's temporary, and they know that this doesn't feel as good as it would if you know they were out in the real world. And and with uh with Roger's death scene and his mention of like we we beat them and we whipped them real good while Peter's like trying to like drown his own sorrows, it's it's starting to sound like like it's kind of impossible for me to not compare it to Night of Living Dead, but. Because Night of the Living Dead is also so clearly as much a Vietnam War uh, criticism yeah. as it is a as it is a race relations criticism, the like it's hard for me not to watch that scene and associate it with the with the sort of like trying to convince yourself that you want something that you actually didn't mindset that like the Vietnam War had to like put in a lot of people uh, after its like unfortunate end and and Tom Savini himself who wanted to do uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, uh, like the special effects for Night of the Living Dead, but, but could not because he got drafted into Vietnam. Uh, I'm sure that like has some effect into, into how like Roger's death scene is arranged. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great point. Can we agree? So, I mean, obviously all the humans are villains. I think we agree with that. But worst one is Steve, <laughs> right? No one likes Steve. Steve is, Steve is kind of a wiener. Um, there's a very early scene that's very crucial to the movie that I appreciate more and more every time we watch it, especially from a uh, perspective, what, 45 years later? Let movie? me guess. That's 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 what I was kind of getting to, that him him trying to enforce uh, gender norms on uh, yep. a band of four. Yeah. Trying to survive zombies. So it's, it's, it's a combo of him trying to enforce gender norms, taking the last gun, leaving her at home without anything to defend herself. And mm-hmm. then um, two, once they find out that Fran is pregnant and I feel kind of bad that we've sidelined Fran so much, but like they do, the movie tries to sideline Fran until she becomes a person of action because she takes that position from them. She has to yep. force them to make her, let her fly. She has to have the initiative herself and like nobody else get, like needs to needs to have that for some reason. Because yeah, if, if no one else no one else is gonna make her become a person of action, she like has to forcibly take it from them despite pro- protests from Steven. And that's the best thing, is that like Peter and her never hook up. They they don't actually get them together, but it kind of seems like it is because like Peter is treating her with more respect and more dignity than Steven is. And then Steven's failed marriage proposal is totally like just like a him trying to patch things up as the baby gets closer, especially after the very early scene that I want to reference, which is they all like are talking about like her getting an abortion with her asleep in the next room or so they think she is listening the whole time. And she's like, well, you know, it wouldn't be great if you had that conversation when I was uh, fucking awake and it's my decision entirely and she says, don't I get a vote? Which is hilarious because it's like, well, you get a hundred votes. Like, you get all, all the votes. I, whatever this is your body, man. <laughs> yeah, whatever well, votes well, it takes to. Well, thankfully, there's not any recent examples of a bunch of men sitting around discussing what what women should be able to do or not do uh, with their <laughs> body. That's like, I don't know. 
broadcast nationally by people in amazing positions of power. So I'm glad we moved past that, guys. Yep, I'm, I'm sure glad that's a piece of history. Yeah. You know, 40 years later, we got Roe v. Wade and, you know, yep. everybody just put the issue of abortion to bed. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we can close the show on that. Uh, Roe v. Exactly. Wade is going to stand forever. <laughs> yeah. Everyone accepts it. Law of the land. <laughs> oh, we did it, guys. Uh, Peter is like the the coolest dude there. Like, every, he is so I cool. mean, everything about him is just cool. I, I love the way he calls like Steve, who doesn't deserve that much respect. He kind of tr- tries to give Steve a bit more respect, except for the one time when like Steve aims a gun at him and he has to like show him what's up. Uh, like, you know, see, he calls him Flyboy and everything. Like, Steve's uh, Peter's like personable. It, the reason why he's with them is because he was able to comfort Roger when Roger was like totally fucked up from the SWAT raid. And, like, he came up to the rooftop and was able to converse with him. And Roger was like, hey, I like you. My, my dude Steve is, like, headed out on a helicopter. Do you want to come along? Uh, so Peter's, like, cool. But, uh, but like, Steve's, Steve's that nice guy hanger on. Steve, Steve would totally wear a fedora if he lived in today's <laughs> age. Keep you safe from the zombie apocalypse, my lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While you were... <laughs> While you were off fighting zombies, I trained in the blade and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, and and in addition to that, I think because of the that gender norm area and like Fran being a uh, Fran clearly being sidelined, like we're mentioning, and again, uh, it's it's kind of dissatisfying that it took us so long to get to here. That's where she absolutely becomes a lot more vocal in the fact that this is no life for us, because yeah. it's clear that she's. Uh, unintentionally being like uh, maybe not oppressed but suppressed or or I, I guess it would be oppressed as well she's like be, being like put into this damsel in distress rule that she does not want to be in that that she's clearly capable the read i also got from it because there's a line where he said like you're the one that wanted to set up house or something to, to frame uh... i also i also get the sense that like steven is um a bit of a wuss and like yeah. won't commit to her, but she even she's like not, she's not like you know uh, head first into the idea of like them settling down, having a house, having a marriage, having all that stuff. But it, she's at least like motherfucker. You have to tell me what your intentions are. You have to tell me like what you want out of this relationship. And he's not. And then right in the middle of that like awkward, you know, do we na- take the next step in our relationship? Bullshit the zombie apocalypse drops on them. So that's the way I read it is that like, he just didn't, he wasn't like committing enough to the next step. And she's just like, you know what? I'm like, if you're not going to commit, like I can fucking do all this myself. Oh, I see. I think, I think there's a reason why uh, Peter and Fran are like, yeah, they, they have a connection because they are saying, Hey, here we are in a situation where the only thing that matters is who's alive and who's dead and who's capable in this new version of our society. And yet you still have the Stevens of the world trying to enforce um, these uh, bullshit patriarchy of who can do what and not when our society, the four of us here is going to be better if, if everyone participates as equally as possible. Aaron, you were so onto something, and that's that Steven continually gets emasculated throughout the movie, yeah. too. Like, he keeps trying to nail that, that headshot, and then he fucks it up. And that's, but, and that's, and that is supposed to be like a lot of these kind of allegorical aspects. It's like, hey, guys, 
yeah, these are the four people that are in this society, but hey, in our society, maybe we'd be better off if we did the same fucking thing. And this idea of these kind of artificial norms breaking away when the worst happens, that they show how artificial and unnecessary they are in the first place. 100%. Yep. I'm with you. Uh, uh, so we're, we're kind of yeah, we're kind of running out of time. I do want people to get a chance to talk about their favorite scenes, which I know could be every scene in this movie. But if you have one scene that we haven't got a chance to talk about yet that you wanted to mention, what would it be? Again, it's like a really, really small scene. It's, uh, it's technically not even a scene. But uh, while they're like, you know, cleaning up shop in the mall and trying to uh, trying to get everything like uh, cleared up, at least in the floors that they intend to inhabit. Uh, yeah. There, there's just like a very utilitarian and uh, uh, Wiseman-esque moment where we just see Peter himself like emptying out a fridge and then having to fill it up with bodies like similar to, to the ones that he had to see when he was at the at the at the at the SWAT raid and that feels like such a resigned uh, moment of like you know labor that you have to do before you can actually enjoy the fun stuff that they try to indulge in yeah that uh, that really humanizes the story for me and like grounds it and that that's like one of the first things that I definitely remembered from my first time viewing like Dawn of the Dead how even uh, it, it, that like refuted the idea that like oh zombie invasion would be fun no it's work it's it's hard oh, yeah. work it's it's like stuff that's gonna make you sweat and, and all that and yeah and you're I, and I, you're seeing the moments of respite after all of the horror has been done day in day out yep. So that that that's a scene. I'll mention um, just because I, I, I'm still very impressive watching it now. But the scene where they're moving the two semis and they have the helicopter in the air, it just it feels so um, feels like a blockbuster type filmmaking and this big set piece action scene mm-hmm. that must have been uh, and listening to the commentary as well. I mean, just well above anything that Romero had done up into that point. And the fact that it is so tense and executed so perfectly. And you know exactly what they're trying to accomplish, what the act, what what's going on with the action, where everyone is in relation to you know the spatial geography of the mall and everything. It is sort of masterful uh, set piece action scene from a person who didn't get a chance to do that all that often in his career. Yeah, the like the just the idea of like a helicopter alone immediately introduces uh, and the SWAT raid and everything just introduces the fact that like George is happy to have such a bigger budget to allow for like bigger ambition and bigger scope and I think that scene is like one of the ones that like especially yeah. establishes that and it was only the budget was 1.5 million dollars which I get it's 1978 but that's still like what six seven eight today yeah cops I mean that's it's insane what he was able to accomplish uh, even with with an expanded budget um and this was by far his most successful movie it made 55 million at the time which is you know more today maybe much more probably at least double um so I'm gonna kind of cheat here my favorite scene in the movie is actually uh not a scene it is the sound design that he does uh that George pulls where he overlays either um the incredible soundtrack that was uh put together by goblin uh definitely goblin brought in by the producer dario argento and also there's a couple monologues by richard france who's playing this like doctor on tv who's like basically offering very sobering very 
pragmatic but like brutally pragmatic advice that the the uh both his co-host on the tv station and the audience in this tv station are balking at his co-host is actually actively drinking while richard france is offering this he's this um eye patch uh doctor and i don't know where he lost his eye but it, it does add a little bit of mystery to it like he's this like dude who's been through the ringer there's a couple sequences where he's he's asking these questions over zombie scenes, and it adds such a, a power to the movie to have this like voice of authority booming in the background. Um, we discussed one of them, which is Roger's death, rising, and redeath. And he says, "We are down to the line, folks." That is so chilling. It gave me shivers. It's it. it it's sort of like uh, when Roger says, yeah, you know, like, uh, we whipped him and we got it all. Like, there's like a lot of moments in that death and Peter drinking and just like, yeah, man, we did. Like, that whole sequence makes me so, gives me such shivers. But like the Romero's decision to put a spoken dialogue over it makes it so much creepier, which is, ha- that's a trick from Night of the Living Dead, too. Well, yeah, Night of the Living Dead is very much a people gathering around the radio movie that really, um adds to the tension. But the other thing about those TV broadcasts is that that's when the true nature of the apocalyptic scenario really dawns on all the survivors when the TV stops airing even that show. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. even this raw show. Even the, even the show gone. about like, we're yeah, let's let's kill everyone. And maybe we're going to have to do this to survive. And, you know, this kind of like booming voice of doom in the background. And when they they're just sitting in silence eating dinner because they're like, yeah, that show hasn't been on in three days. Why are we even bothering? And, like, that's when it really dawns on them. Get it? Uh, that's, um, that's when it really dawns on them that, oh, this shit is real. Even our even our little bit of hope or wisdom or whatever you want to call it has been cut off from us. And now we're just three people sitting, eating a dinner in a mall, waiting for the tidal wave to get us. I'm actually surprised it took us that long to mention him because I, I forgot about him entirely. But he's he's such a good harbinger of doom actor, whoever that was. I used to think yeah, that Richard was that. He's also in the craziest yeah, too. Richard France. But that was such a, a good like moment of like fear mongering in the background and especially being used by the zombie. So, yeah. So, uh, fi- I guess we're, we're at final thoughts. I'm sure we could all talk about this movie for another three hours, but sure could. Um, I'll, I'll keep mine really brief. I mean, this is, this is one of the best horror movies of all time. This is life changing from a film perspective for myself. And it's a movie that is, it, it, it I don't know. It passes the test of time. Almost feels like, some sort of weird metric that I don't want to apply to it, but it is it is as good and as exciting and as funny as the day it came out. And this is where it gets a little unfortunate, also as politically relevant um, as it was when it came out. Like, this movie feels vibrant. This feels like it was made today. This feels like um, it's rare when a movie from 1978 has this much to say about 2017. And through that, it's, you know, great gore effects and... It just flies by. So my guess is most people listening have seen Dawn of the Dead, but hopefully if you haven't, you're able to get a copy of it. Uh, Salim mentioned he has a few. Maybe rob him. I don't know. Um, None of you know where I live. (laughs) Or actually, you know what? Come over my house anytime, dinner time. Uh, 
you know, prefer- preferably, and well, you'll you'll get something, maybe Dawn of the Dead. Put up a Craigslist thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for like walking morsels to watch Dawn of the Dead with. Yes. <laughs> Please leave all running shoes at home. Yeah. No, fu- um, no, no funny stuff. <laughs> no yeah. funny stuff. <laughs> brains uh, question mark <laughs> so i guess I'll, I'll run with my final thoughts um this movie uh very much similar to uh, on the night of the living dead podcast i wanted to call out uh for this movie there is legitimately like a through line for all four even all six of the dead movies little themes run through where george was still chewing on ideas and i love how it's like there's no characters really that return um whole new characters whole new setting whole new era and he adapts it to the fear of the time obviously but also wait wait, wait, hold on but there's like three thousand protagonists that are in all these movies (laughs) (laughs) consistent characters what's gonna say is isn't um is uh tom savini's zombie in multiple ones i'm trying to remember yes so tom savini's zombie from this movie technically does come back and land i think yeah yeah maybe right i I haven't seen it in a while but we'll mention it in the land episode if it's true or i will tell you guys that that's wrong but i'm pretty sure tom zavini is playing the zombie version of himself and dawn in that one so weirdly enough the the largest through line is a zombie aaron how do you feel about that unsurprising unsurprising (laughs) Um, i mean they they are the heroes they are they they ultimately they ultimately take over the world and um, are very hungry. I thought I thought that song when they said who run the world, it was girls, girls. Are they zombie girls? Yeah. Hey, Peter. Mm-hmm. S- zombies accept all genders. <laughs> if, you, if you eat human flesh, welcome to the club. Zombies yeah. are definitely more inclusive than the four people who are living inside the mall. Thank Here's you. The, and that is that is so true that like zombies are this like force of like equality. They're they're I mean you could read zombies in the first movie as like communists, like uh, you know, red scare terrifying stuff. Like but really what what the that's more of an uh, invasion of the body snatchers thing and, and the zombies i always see and george from this movie on george really like takes zombies and turns them into these like these these this like force that like yeah maybe these guys can run it better than we can <laughs> like they're not uh, screwing each other over for a penny they just, just they just want some energy they yeah. want to take some take some carbon some proteins make it into useful energy for more accomplishments like Smacking into glass. <laughs> Finally going through that glass. Yeah. So, so I've got like two. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to over lengthen the show, but I, I, obviously I could talk about Dawn of the Dead forever, and uh, I'm oh, sure yeah. you guys feel that way too. Uh, but I've got two final thoughts. First off, there was a scene that I just remembered that I also would add into like specific scenes I, I, I recalled from my very first time viewing, and it's also a small thing. But it's when they're like doing that sort of trick where they try to go like down one flight of the one one floor of the of this shop. Oh try yeah. To like call the zombies over and then go up to the other floor and like call them over and just distract them so that they could get all of them in the mount so that they could just go through one of the floor and clean the rest out. They have this um and and move out all their supplies. There is this 
one moment of like cheesy, obvious horror. That's a jump scare, but like definitely got me as a kid. It's it's just a look at one of the arms alongside an arm of a mannequin and we're supposed to assume it's a mannequin until while they're moving through just that zombie suddenly moves and grabs him and it's a violation of the idea that we're supposed to expect the zombies to act slow uh, but it, it, it works really well and like got me like all of a sudden they're like a frazzle during like a very sedate moment in the film where like we're kind of relaxed because they know what they're doing and everything but suddenly like nope the, the, like there's a zombie inside what, how are you going to deal with it and I think it's either Roger or Steve who's just like flailing on the ground while the zombie's like on top of them about to eat him it's, it's, it's a cheesy cheesy moment of genre in the film like could, could it's t- good though yeah exactly it's good it could be telegraphed if I wasn't like a kid uh, uh, if I wasn't a kid maybe it might have been telegraphed I can't tell anymore because I know it's coming and, and it, 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 it called back to me uh, it's kind the, of anti-telegraphed where they show a man a mannequin startles Roger and then Roger like kind of goes like, oh, I was being a silly Billy. And then a few minutes later, <laughs> he actually gets attacked by one because he just thinks all of the figures around him are mannequins, apparently. Yeah. Got him. <laughs> so it's like reverse telegraphed where it's like they use the jump scare, but it would be like if the it'd be like in a, you know, the cat scare in a movie. It'd be like yeah. they use the cat scare and then the cat was an evil cat and then mauled him yep they got him uh the the second thought is is specifically in relation to uh dawn of the dead 2004 the remake by Zack snyder that was his directorial feature feature directorial debut and in my opinion like the best movie he made uh i'd agree but i agree i'm not i'm not crazy about Zack snyder i think i'm warming up to him to a point where i don't hate him the way i used to uh but but Dawn of the Dead seems like the most sophisticated and like better, best crafted film that he's made so far. It's just not Dawn of the Dead 1978. No. And it's very obvious how it's trying to be that way because all these scenes we're talking about, I'm suddenly going back and I'm, and I'm remembering how there's like moments similar to them or elements similar to them in the new Dawn of the Dead that just don't have the same social context the same potency the the scene where uh where peter has to wait out roger's death so that he can finish him off himself that scene is essentially the same one between uh i can't remember the name of the main guy the one who's like a truck driver and kind of a loser there's uh, like yeah the, there's the, like 12 matt, characters matt matt fewer yeah, Matt. Something. Yeah, the Matt Fuhrer's death is yeah. the thing because Matt Fuhrer is the one that he has to wait out, and it, and it's it's not the same. Like we we uh, we were we knew Roger. We don't know Matt Fuhrer's character, and he's doing a good job in the scene. To be honest, he's one of the yeah. better performances in the film for like a small runtime. But he, it's it's not the same potency. It, it's not the same moral uh, moral struggling that we've had, and it really wants to be in it, and it kind of overplays itself with the music and everything. Well, they. And they kind of do it a couple times because they kind of then do the baby one too. Yeah, the which baby is like one, them the waiting to see if the baby's going to be a zombie. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, it's 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 not one of my, the better. But hey, that baby went on to star in American Sniper. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so the and then remake is interesting because they basically just took um, the 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 fifteen minutes in the middle where they there's like a five minute montage in the middle of the remake where. They are all having fun in the mall, and the dad from Modern Family has sex on a webcam. Um, 
who's also named Steve and is also the most obviously fuck you guy in the movie. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. And Yeah, they're both named Steve. And I like a lot of the new stuff in the Dawn of the Dead remake, but anytime that they try and uh, you know, crib from the original, it's like, come on. Come on. One thing I did really like that separates the two uh, I know we I know we we were fast approaching over time, but I love that, uh, and I didn't even think about it to watching this time. So in this one, they have all the guns everywhere in the mall, mm-hmm. and in the remake, that you know the problem is the gun stores across the street, <laughs> which which feels right because in 1978, I I think I can imagine more gun stores in the mall. Uh, I I've never really seen a lot of guns sold at malls in 2000 since 2004. Uh, so I thought that was just an interesting difference, uh, and one that probably made sense with the times as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's guns. They still sell guns in WalMarts, but WalMarts are typically disconnected from malls because they want to yeah. be their own little like mall island. So it's it's a yeah that that was a smart a smart change because seeing them sell guns in a mall is like wait a minute America used to be even worse on guns I forgot about that yeah <laughs> uh, yeah Dawn of the Dead is just like a pale imitation it's a fine movie but it's it's a pale imitation I and uh. And my last question, what do you guys think about the concept of the alternate ending and would you have preferred it in the movie? So for- I can go first. So it's it's weird because I like this ending for this yeah. movie. I think it works. I think one thing I didn't get a chance to mention is that why the movie is so effective really is when, when those bikers are coming – and you realize that you, you start to get a little bit invested in the paradise that they're the quote unquote paradise that they've created. So you you are emphasizing with the characters as like both a oh, shoot, I don't want I don't want these people to come into the mall and fuck with the with with the three people we have left. But also from like we don't want to see anything bad happen to these. I'll say at least two of the three that are remaining because we, we feel like we've been through so much with them. And that's really I mean, the characterization and the way that we get to know all four of our of, of our humans left in the mall is so well done. And so getting like a, a, a little bit of relief from that where they even say, look, we don't have much gas. It's just two of us. You know, you know, as an audience member that this mall was really the best shot that they have. I think it's grim enough with without being overpowering. Yeah. But I will say I love the ending of the Dawn of the Dead remake, which kind of does, you know, it's a totally different than what was going to happen. But it does give all of our characters that survive a moment of hope before killing them over uh, the end credits, essentially off screen. And I, I. I know there's a lot of debate about that ending. I love that ending in that movie. But in general, I think that's because I like the twist of it because I didn't care about the characters in the Dawn of the Dead remake in the same way that I did about the 1978 original. So I I was I was more open to having having the, the twist ending being more important than the characters, where in this one I don't feel the same way. Oh, for the for the viewer for the listeners, by the way, uh, because I'm sure like there may be some that have seen Dawn of the Dead that have not heard of the alternate ending. Originally the ending was that um, de- during their attempted escape when the biker gang comes in, at this point Steve is gone. Uh, Peter and Fran uh, Fran gets to the helicopter in advance while Peter tries to like hold them off. And Peter, and you can see a bit of this where he's like contemplating it in the movie, decides to shoot himself like he's lost all hope and just kills himself outright. He shoots himself in the head uh, after he gets after he traps himself in. Uh, while Fran, after like waiting for Peter and then deciding that's not a 
that that she can't wait anymore, that she's kind of uh, lost hope as well, shoves her head into the blades of the helicopter and decapitates herself. The, the credits would be playing over the blades of the helicopter, and eventually the blades would stop by the end of the credits, implying that they would have never gotten anywhere to begin with, which is a very dark and nihilistic way to end it. I, I, I share the, the same thought with, uh, with Aaron, where I'm so invested in the characters, especially after all the work they've put to like try to, try yeah. to uh, make Fran a much more like engaged and like, uh, proactive player in this, in this zombie fight. That uh, that just doing her off like that seems a lot more cruel and like inadvertently yeah. more misogynist than than ever. I I, I I like the characters enough that even with like the sudden tonal shift, because Peter like get, has like this whole action movie scene where he suddenly decides, no, I'm not going to shoot myself, and then just like barrels his way past all the zombies and miraculously makes it to the thing. And there's a bit of uncertainty because, like Aaron says, he says like, how much gas we got, and she says not much, and he's just like. Okay, fine. Like there's there's uncertainty this to the scene, so it's not like an entirely happy ending. But I like that uncertainty with the characters. I love making it out more than I yep. do the the idea of like just stamping an extra like darkness to, to dark note to the thing. I don't think Dawn the Dead really needs that. Um, my thoughts on the ending are that I like it what it is. I do think that the um, it feels very much like George needed a few extra minutes to really sell that whole Peter is going to kill himself. And then he's like, actually, I'll live. Uh, and then there's a really like rousing, very, very 70s uh, action number. 18 as fuck. It sounds like fucking um, I had the tiger. It sounds like a uh, callback. Not I'm trying to think of what it is, but it just sounds like yeah, like a chips or something. Like it's like this like rousing sort of like cheesy uh, anthem, but it's like a great little sequence where he decides to live. Um, and I like the idea of them being like, "Holy shit!" Like not only was this place not working for us, but like we need to find something else that works for us. And it doesn't really matter what it is because we just need to, we just need to keep moving. We're human beings. Like we can't just stay here and let our souls rot in this like temple of consumerism. And we can't die for this temple of consumerism. We need to like go live for ourselves. And I, I, I love that. And we'll find out the continuing adventures of Fran and Roger in Dawn of the Dead 2. Day of the Dead. <laughs> uh, they won't. They won't be back. Uh, Hopefully, yeah. Salim, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, this was a blast. I hope. I hope you had as much fun as. Uh, this is awesome. As, oh my god, I, I had a hell of a good time, and thank you guys for having me. Uh, like it, it, it was. It was great. You will. You will a hundred percent be asked back. So in the meantime. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find some of your your wonderful writing on uh, uh, both horror movies and other stuff, um, and we'll include some links to the sh- in the show notes as well. Yeah, you can't find my wonderful writing because it doesn't fucking exist, but I do have some mediocre writing, <laughs> and that would happen to be uh, my own personal blog, Movie Motor Breath. Uh, Motor Breath spelled M-O-T-O-R-B-R-E-A-T-H, as in the Metallica song that it's named after for some stupid reason. Uh, <laughs> MovieMotorBreath.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also find some of my writing alongside others, uh, on the the film experience uh, dot net 
by you know operated by Nathaniel R. Usually, like once a week, put put a posting there. So if you so if you like the stuff there and you prefer it has less uh, less curse words in it, you could always check out the <laughs> stuff on on the film experience as well as the many great writers uh, on that platform as well. So next week we are doing uh, Day of the Dead, uh, the 1985 again George A. Romero movie, uh, and the Costos, if you will. And the Kosky brothers, <laughs> Kosky number and, uh, one and Kosky number two, Adam and Dustin will be rejoining us to discuss to discuss that they were really enthusiastic and they have a new podcast that is uh, fantastic, which I'm sure they'll be talking about. Uh, and then we're wrapping it up with just a just a Peter and Aaron joint uh, with Land of the Dead. And then Peter, we won't do the order yet, but I, I believe we just had a poll that just closed do you want to announce the winner of that for what we're doing in december so thanks to a poll that you guys voted in our december theme will not be christmas horror volume two uh we're not gonna have loud and horror. clear we're not gonna have yes. three months of horror in a row <laughs> uh it is going to be a very shane black christmas so we're gonna be doing lethal weapon a long kiss good night kiss kiss bang bang and Iron Man 3. And then we're going to be doing other stuff in January. Uh, but we'll announce more uh, order. Uh, Salim, if you ever listen to the end of these things, we don't know how to end podcasts very well. So now we're just going to ramble a little bit. Uh, say tune in next week for more stuff. And um, I don't know. How, how was your awkward goodbyes? Uh, I just re- start to cry and dry heave and like run out, but accidentally run into a wall because I thought that was where the door was and then end up kind of like dry heaving even more. And then the sweat goes into my armpits as well as in my face. It kind of jumps from my armpits into my face and becomes really awkward and I don't know how to stop. And it really uh, sucks because I really don't want it to keep going, but oh my God, I get such anxiety and my eyes start bulging out and I feel like my brain is going to like pop out and everything and I don't know what to do. Oh, my that hair sounds, is like, that sounds pretty itself. tasty. Everything is going out out of my head and I'm like I don't I don't know how to cut it off people tell me I need like a place to like stop and, and you know a, a place to just like calm down and take the L and you know just chill out but like life is so fucking it, 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 it's overwhelming and I don't know what to do about it and everything like just keeps swirling and swirling and swirling and then, uh, you know what so things are going pretty good for Salim how about you Peter <laughs> um yeah yeah same ditto all right. Well, Ditto. I think that's I think that's a happy moment to end the night on, just like the true ending of Dawn of the Dead. We're not going <laughs> to bum you out with some unexpected sadness. So, good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Well, I walked through the mall and I walked up and down. I got tired, so I just sat down. I watched the people for a while. You always learn a little. Diddly doody doink 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 diddle. Let's rock. Let's go. listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. 
And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.